We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream. Coming up next on Inside Golf Podcast, Michael Cavalunas, our new ownership provider at rickrenka.com, joins me for great conversation on uh, ownership at large, where the industry is headed as it pertains to that, uh, and of course, a full breakdown of the slate for the FedEx St. Jude's. But first, we are presented, as always, by rickrungood.com. All the stats, tools, and info discussed on the podcast can be found over at rickrungood.com. My full course breakdown on TPC Southwind is up there right now. Wednesday, DraftKings, final thoughts article. And uh, as always, it's the best place to reach me for questions is in that Slack channel. So sign up today using code ANDY. When you sign up, that is the important part. We've added a ton of stuff to the site recently, and I'm pretty stoked about where things are headed. We'd love to have you as part of the team. All right, that's all I got at the top. Without further ado, let's talk to Cav. All right, Michael Cavalunas is here, brand new ownership guy for rickrungood.com. Michael, it's a pleasure to be joined by you tonight, and welcome to the team, man. Congratulations. I really appreciate it, man. It's a honestly, it's a dream come true for me. And um, <laughs> let, I'm not joking, not joking. Like I started because of Rick, like I did. I I got into all this because I saw some Rick Run Good YouTube video oh so many years ago and was just captivated by what he was doing. But more or less, his whole mantra of trying to help others win, and that's kind of what I'm about. And if people have listened to the cut line, they know that. So um, I've always, without even being associated with Rick, talked about how great his product was. Right. Um, so, and that's even with with when I was employed by other, you know, other websites. So it, it really is an amazing feeling to be part of your team. It really is. You've been on this podcast before, so I'm sure some listeners are familiar with what you do, but... Um, we probably have some new listeners since then. I think you came on Mexico Open Week, which is a down week. So give all the new listeners like a little bit of background. How did you get into like the crazy time-consuming job of pro- projecting ownership in PGA DFS? Well, long story short, I started giving it away for free just on Twitter. 
and I was doing it probably for what, half a half what a year? Season. Yeah, what year was this? I'm a I'm a newbie. I I I've been on Twitter for like a year and a half. <laughs> that was probably 2019. Okay. Um, like the first half of 2019, pre-COVID and pre-COVID, and okay. I had my own model built and would take kind of like my own basic conception of the site and create what I thought ownership would be, and it was free, um, no strings attached. Like here, use it if you want. And uh, Fanshare Sports got a hold of it, and they knew they had a replacement. And I guess they followed along for a bit, and they said, "Hey, we'd love for you to come aboard." And you know, it was an opportunity I was more than willing to take. And they were exceptional in allowing me to still run like the Cutline brand and and everything of that nature. Start my own website because I literally had just bought the domain for CutlineGolf.com when they offered me the position, and I was like, I'm not paying for this and not using it. So. And, um, you know, as I continued to work with Fanshare, I built up my own private personal ownership model, which mm-hmm. I started incorporating into Fanshare's model and using that just to get more predictive and better results. And here we are. So it, it's a very elaborate, complicated process. Um, to be more specific, the closer we get to lineup lock, the longer it takes. Hmm. Explain that because I was going to ask you a few questions about your process anyway, without giving away too many of the secrets or getting too in the weeds. But but what do you mean by that? Well, when you get that initial run through, you kind of get which gen- which like you're, you're, you're talking one. you're talking like Monday. When's your first run through? When do you start to like start to put numbers together on this? I already ran two run throughs today. Okay, I already when- ran two. So, so for Rick run good subscribers and you haven't even started yet with us, but what, uh, when, when should they expect the first update? Usually I would anticipate it. It really depends on the tournament. Like Mm -hmm. if it's a major, it'll be first thing Monday morning. Mm. Um, maybe even earlier potentially. Wow. But like for just like an average tournament, like say the Wyndham, probably Monday night. That's pretty Uh, good. I feel like most uh, things start to formulate on Tuesday, like morning to mid afternoon anyway. The the issue with that, though, is, is like you're just getting a lay of the land, right? Right. So you're trying to get a, a sense of feeling in it. And you and I were talking prior to coming on the show. And and, and I, I think this could be a bigger problem now being on, you know, a part of Rick Run Good is that with so many eyes on the site, so many eyes on the ownership, that the results are going to be interesting at first because people are gonna be like well ownership's real important i'm gonna pivot from that guy and then ownership's not gonna look very accurate and it's gonna look like on someone else if that makes sense so it's a great problem to have because that means we're projecting someone that wants that's gonna play well or is projected to play well but people are adopting this concept of game theory and there's a lot more people out there talking about this concept i talk about it all the time on my show Right. Like, I don't, me, I don't, me too, I, but it, it's changed. You're right. It, More people, there's smarter content providers out there these days. It has. So that's where you get in the line. And I think the one of the best people who does this in terms of breaking down these slates and looking at ownership is uh, Tambo, Tyler Tamlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He does great. an amazing job of dissecting these slates, looking at ownership, even early ownership, and saying, look, that number's going to change. So that's going to be the big focal point on those Tuesday night, Wednesday night breakdowns is when the game theory comes to play, who is being overprojected, who's being underprojected, and how do we adjust those numbers for you know the, the given slate? 
And we see it every week too. Every single week, there is a guy that comes in a lot lower. The way that I usually actually like to describe it is a narrative starts like building on certain players throughout the week about good chalk, bad chalk, right? And so an example of this is a couple of weeks ago, I guess maybe it was the 3M that everyone loved Goddard up, where Goddard up, there were some projections on Goddard up at like 25, 28, 30% on Goddard up. And then people started like turning Goddard up's ownership into a bit. Like people started making fun of Goddard up's ownership and he came in at like 15%. And the same thing actually kind of happened a little bit at the Rocket Mortgage, a touch with Cam Young, where I heard people talk about like, oh, to Cam Young or not to Cam Young. Cam Young is going to be like 30%, 35%. And it kind of turned into this bit. And then Cam Young comes in at like 22%. And Cantlay, the guy that no one's really talking about, but secretly is all like, this makes the most sense in the world, comes in crazy higher, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I... You know, there are there are weeks I get it wrong. So it's Finau, impossible not to. Yeah. <laughs> but but Finau, you know, when he won his second at the back to back, I thought he was be higher owned. In a lot of those contests, he came in like almost single digit owned. Yeah. And I was like, are people still following the narrative that you can't win back to back tournaments on the PGA tour? That was insane to me. I know. But then you go back and you look at the timeline on Twitter and to be perfectly honest, if, if you search Tony Finau, people were saying he can't win back to back. Right. And, and you know, you just got to accept the fact that as many thousands of people are out there, plenty are still not subscribed to Rick Run Good or wherever else you can get PJ ownership. So whether whether it's Fanchair Sports, whether it's Roto Grinders, whether it's um Awesome but doesn't he go by he goes by a different name now? Hank but what, the, Hank they changed their name. Yeah. So I <laughs> Stoke Stoketastic or something like that. Yeah, something, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but wherever they go, those numbers are all different. So that's pulling ownership. So it's it's interesting. It's interesting. It's a great game to play. And kind of like we talked about on the first time I was on here, it made me a worse DFS player. Right. Because I was like, oh, that guy's chalky. I gotta fade him. Well, mm. I struggle you know, with that a lot. And Chalk's been, Chalk's been smashing recently too, which is, you know, you're not seeing guys like me and Kobe at the top of any leaderboards when all this, no. I've been, I've been looking at it recently a lot. Cause I, I've talked about this with you before, but I, I run it every week, not ownership, but what I do at the end of the week is I, uh, I compare Chalk to natural pivots every single week. Like I, I have this tally for, God, I've been doing this now for I think close to over a little bit over a year. I've got like 50 weeks of data. And I think when we talked, I told you about this last time, I think, when we were talking about Mexico. And I think around Mexico time, it was pretty even where there was a it was pretty 50-50 between whether the high-owned guy or the pivot who would outperform who. And I think like 10 of the last 12 weeks, the higher owned player has outperformed the natural pivot. It, it has it has gone from like it was close to 50-50 up until the past like two months or so. I've seen far more chalk hitting. I have a couple theories for why that is, but it it's been interesting to me. And I haven't really adapted yet well. A lot of it's recent form. A lot of it 
you know, like you you can look at it in any which way you want. Still too small of a sample size. I'm just saying it. I noticed yeah. the past two months. Yeah, I mean, but chalk is hitting. Tom Kim was chalk last week, believe it or not. And Tom Kim, Sung J M was twenty five percent. I mean, yeah. Russell Henley was twenty percent. And it's funny too, is it's like I I make I joke about this with our friend Kirshner a bunch because he's more of the mindset where he doesn't care about ownership as much as we do, which I understand, but he sent me a picture of a lineup that had like Sung Jay, uh, Tom Kim, Russell Henley, even John Huh, three guys in the top five, and with John Huh too. And his lineup wasn't even in the top 500 of the mini max. And he's like, PGA DFS is hard. And it's like, yeah, it's hard. But the the only reason why it's not in the top 500 is because everybody else has those guys too. So your fourth and fifth man is not as good as some of the other guys. So what happens with the chalk too is yes, chalk smashes, right? Chalk has been smashing, but if you play chalk, if you've been playing the chalk that's smashing, you haven't been guaranteed that you're making any money at all because that is the problem with chalk. You're boxing yourself out far more than if you know you take the strategy that I do and I play all the low-owned guys and most of the time I'm losing. But on that one chance where all those guys make the cut and the chalk misses, I know I'm guaranteed to make a lot of money. That is a solid train of thought. I, I would like to... Just, I'm sure BK is going to listen, so I'm going to say this: <laughs> is that when he goes for those chalky plays, you don't mash the field, you don't double the field, like you quadruple that field. Yes, and you to can get still, as much yeah. exposure as you can because, um, I'm trying to think of an analogy that could be best described, like to, to to what you're trying to do, and and often I go back to poker, like Texas Hold'em, mm. like I. When I was serious about it, I think the most common winning hand, like 30% of the time, was three of a kind. So, like, if you're in those smaller fields, you're looking for that three of a kind full house, right? You're not going to land that royal flush. It's so rare, um, even four of a kind, something like that. So, build that solid core, overexpose yourself, take your risks, and actually, like, just be aware of if you're going to fade the chalk, just bet the chalk. We know BK (laughs) can bet the chalk. Go bet it. Don't play it. There you go. Okay, man. I love BK. Yeah, me on it on it two weeks ago, man. It I know. Was a lot I, of fun. I watched it. I love BK too more than anything. Um, so I want to circle back to something that you hit on a little bit, but like when you're calculating ownership, how much of it is paying it? To, and I kind of talked about this with you a little bit last time um, when we did the Mexico podcast, but I'm curious if it's changed for you as well, because you hinted to me that you felt the kind of spectrum on ownership was changing a little bit. But like, does this type of work require you to be sitting on Twitter all day? Does it require you to listen to a bunch of podcasts that you know you don't even necessarily want to listen to, but you know that you have to listen to, like, how much do you think of, are we overrating the Twitter bubble? Are we underrating the Twitter bubble? Like, how do you factor all of that stuff in? Twitter is a good indicator of where ownership's going to go. I think so too. It's not going to give you necessarily like a solid projection or idea. And this is literally where I will go into DraftKings, take these plays and build lineups and try to build lineups that make sense. 
And while doing that, that's kind of where I write some things down, write notes down and say, okay, well, this works, this doesn't work. So how many people are going to play this? And, and, and you kind of evaluate that. And as we touched upon, like people are getting sharper, people are getting smarter. So you want to do the inverse of what someone else is doing. And people are going to say, okay, I'm going to fade the chalk this week and go and pivot here. Well, that player, that pivot then ends up becoming a little bit more chalk, if that makes sense. Right. So like you're, you're, you're not necessarily taking one piece of high owned play and eliminating it down to single percent. No, it's still going to be within six, 7% of what that projection is. But then that player that everyone pivots to that player is going to be higher. So, and that's like, like, if you look at my initial projections this week, and, and this is just the first run through, I, I really wouldn't take this, you know, to heart, but like, it's real balanced right now all the way through probably like that half the 7k range hmm. minus the exception of someone like tom tom kim who everyone's hmm. gonna come back to because he won are they um, really everyone's seven. gonna come back i think that's a psycho move well regardless of what you think <laughs> we're talking about we're, we're talking about social media right and we're we're talking like my man jeff who is tweeting out photos of thomas the tank engine every fucking hour right and and he has followers, you know. Outright King hit on uh, my guy. I love yeah. Ryan. He hit yeah. him. So like, there you go. Um, people are seeing Sam Burns, right? So these mm. are your higher own guys. Tony Finau's been Bermuda Burns. Yeah, Bermuda gotta Burns. play. Gotta, gotta play Burns on Bermuda. Gotta love narratives. And then t- Tony Fino, right? right? Like I, 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 like this was a spot I thought Tony Fino would not be owned. Then I'm sitting there going through everything. I'm like, well, shit, he's probably going to be like 18, 19, 20% owned right now. We'll see how the week unfolds. But, you know, it's not like Rory's not getting ownership. It's not like Scotty Scheffler's not getting ownership. But I think people identify what chalk is differently. Like 14% Scotty Scheffler is not chalk. No, that's actually, uh, I would, he's the second highest. No, that's a pivot. If Scotty Scheffler finishes at 14%, that is, very low out. You have to do it by range, right? Obviously. So like, I bet you Scotty, if Scotty Scheffler is really 14%, there's going to be a guy below 7.5. That's 14%. And that is overwhelming chalk because you have to compare it to the guys that he's priced around. It probably might be Brent, Brendan Steele. No, thanks to me. Well, the lowest owned 10 K guy right now. Can't lay. He's at 10%. All right. I want to get into like the whole slate. I want to talk about this with you a little bit more. Before we get into it, let's give a little overview on this tournament. FedEx St. Jude's, it is the first playoff event of the season. Uh, 125 players in the field. TPC Southland in Memphis. I have given a pretty uh, already in-depth breakdown of the course, so I'll kick it to you. What are what are kind of the things that you're looking for this week before we dive into this slate in terms of the course and this tournament in general? The first thing I always try to do is look for narratives that will get me in trouble. And this is something that like really bad players do. They'll take this field and they'll sort it by the official world golf rankings. <laughs> do people really do that? Yes, they do. <laughs> I, I just chalk that into my ownership procedure and they'll be like, okay, well, who's the lowest priced, highest ranked guy? And so they're looking at someone like Colin Morikawa. Well, he's been terrible recently, but I get that if you want to pivot to him, that makes sense. But then you're looking at someone like Joaquin Neiman and 
looking at someone like Kevin Kisner, who's 6,900. Aaron Wise, 7,700. People love Tom Hogue at 6,800. You know, 6, he ranks 44th. However you want to look at it, people are going to play that narrative. And they're going to be like, okay, we need to play someone like that. And then you look at like, like I write my course report on that premise. Like who is going to look for what and what are you looking for? Mm. So what are the stats that we look differently? And I take every slate now from such a unique approach. I will first look for like dimes in the rough. And the thing I'll do is I'll take my putting model, which I basically hand built, and I'll look for guys who rank high on Bermuda, but like don't really show up in like an overall stat model. So those are guys like Alex Norn, who's an exceptional Bermuda putter, but in any real scenario, you don't want to play Alex Norn. He's showing up for me. Uh, well, weird though. <laughs> um, you know, so then like you also think about guys who put well on Bermuda that are going to show up in people's models. So Scheffler, Matt Fitzpatrick, how that's going to be affected. Um, Cam Smith. Cam Smith. So like, and the thing about Cam Smith, I've said this so many times, he wins with the, with, with the flat stick. Every 100%. Time. 100%. So you're either going to get him right or you're going to get him wrong and flip your coin. There you go. But that's basically what you're looking at. So you're looking at those like middle of the road guys. So like Gary Woodland, no one in their right mind is going to go, okay, I want to roster Gary Woodland. Well, Gary Woodland's a hell of a putter on Bermuda. And if he can figure it out for four rounds and, you know, there are other things that I'll look at for Gary Woodland. I'm not saying that Gary Woodland's a play, but I know that he's 42nd in the field off the tee. Um, I know he's 36th in the field in approach. I know that this season he's had an enormous problem scoring. Well, okay, so should I roster him or not? And then you look at his ownership, and depending on the contest I'm playing in that week, kind of solidifies my decision on someone like Gary Woodland. I hope Brian Barrow's listening to this. He was trying to sell me on Gary Woodland today. Um, yeah, I, I I think that this is, I mean, what were some of the ones that... Um, what were some of the narratives that you think were kind of, what do you think other people think about this course? Cause I don't, I haven't gotten a chance to like really consume anything today. And how do you see this? How do you see other people thinking about this week? I think people are going to overvalue scoring. Okay. When they should be more like valuing scrambling and around the green a little bit more heavily. Okay. I like that because they're, they're, if you look at data golf and there's plenty of numbers to indicate that there was success with scramblers. Mm-hmm. Um, Big time. so you, like when people focus too much on scoring and, and that's, that's the inherent desire, right? You want to see amazing golf shots. So let's focus on scoring. The other thing is though, is like what people look at, whether it's on Rick run good, whether it's on fan share sports, whether it's on fantasy national, they use the models very rudimentary. Mm-hmm. So they're really only looking at off the tee approach around the green and ball putting. striking. A ball lot of striking. them are looking at like hole by hole yardages, which is fucking useless. And, yeah. and one of my favorite things that you said last week, and by the way, I, I should have said this at the beginning of the show last week's show. Phenomenal. Thanks, man. I appreciate or, no, that. Last Sunday show <laughs> when, when talking about live and, and the betting oh, review thanks, and everything. Man. Like you talked about the politics. It really gave a good, overview and I'm I'm only going to reinforce the article in the athletic which really goes super really depth. good yeah yeah but um 
like the the strokes gained 400 to 450 yards. Oh my god. I was like, you know how many different 450 yard par fours there are? It's the dumbest stat in the world. I have a, I'm going to do a full, I brought a guy that works with PGA Tour pros and he does schedule optimization for PGA Tour pros. So basically his whole job is working with PGA Tour pros and saying, these are the courses that I think are best for your game. Right. And so we talked about a lot of stats that, uh, are pretty useless that I, I think will let, let some people down a little bit when they hear it. <laughs> well, I, and the first thing people are going to go to is that approach distance from 150 to 175 because they mm-hmm. look at the, you know, the average proximity. But how do you know that any of the players in the top 15 shot from that distance that week? Right. Um, so like unless you have that data, these are kind of like anomalies. And I know I published that data. Yeah. But that's for information that, that I think it's valuable information to know if you do your course research. And I know you do to where, when these stats are viable, like when you look at like Harbor town, yeah, absolutely. Those approach stats are viable. But and, prox- and, and like the thing, cause I asked him specifically about proximity too. And he was like, well, the issue with the biggest issue with proximity is the fact that proximity takes an aggregate number. So for example, if you hit a approach shot to two feet and then you hit your next approach shot to 34 feet, your proximity number is going down as 34 feet, right? Whereas if you hit two shots to 17 feet, you have a under a 50% chance to make both those 17 footers, but you have a almost a hundred percent chance to make that two footer. So what you're getting in proximity is you're, you're not actually identifying scoring, right? You're not, you're, you're not necessarily figuring out. Does that make sense? He described that far more eloquently than I am, but it's taking this aggregate number where you could have a guy that hits it to 15 feet every single time versus a guy that hits it to two feet and 30 feet. But it's also the best we have. Like that's, that's the other thing. And I think with proximity, not to go too deep down into the rabbit hole, but if you're looking at proximity, you need to look at it as large of a sample size as you can, not going crazy like five years, but I, I, if you if you really dig into it and see some of the differences between short term pro- proximity, it is so wonky and it makes zero sense. But if you start to if you continuously increase the sample size and you go fifty rounds, seventy five rounds, a hundred rounds, it starts to paint a clearer picture. If that makes sense, no, that does make sense. And I I I do think in certain scenarios that it's most definitely something that should be part of anyone's model. I agree. The the one thing though, the big mistake that I think most people make when starting off with any slate is they don't commit to their stats. Now, mm. now let's say like let's say like like this last week for example, I got it wrong. I got it wrong, but I committed to Bermuda putters. Mm-hmm. And I got it way wrong. I didn't cash on any lineup, which happens. But I committed to Bermuda putters and thinking that the logic was, okay, we're putting up Bermuda. I'm going to get an edge here because no one else is going to do this. And it's going to be advantageous for me with the guys I like, and they're going to play well. And it, it didn't work out. I didn't, I didn't end up with, you know, Tom Kim. Right. I faded Sung JM because of ownership. 
And right, me too. So I, I think that's a building mistake where people are unwilling to commit to a concept, commit to a core that's based on strategy. Like if you're going bombers one week when everyone going approach players and you nail the nuts on bombers, you're going to win everything because no one's going to have them. Let's talk about uh, the 10K range. So you're saying pretty flat. Um, can I give you my predictions? I'm pretty good at this. I'm not as good as you are, but I want to see how off I am. Sure. I think that JT is going to be really highly owned. No, I think JT's kind of underpriced. If JT was the second highest owned player on the slate in this course, on this course, I don't think I would have batted an eye. So if I'm with you, that Cantlay will be the lowest. But if I had to make a guess, I would say that JT, I don't think JT will be the highest owned player on the slate, but JT would be my, I think Zalatoris will be the highest owned player on the slate, but JT would be my guest to be the highest owned in the 10K range. Am I crazy with that? I think he's underpriced. I think it goes back to Rory. Hmm. Rory was playing so well, even finishing you know, at the Open Championship, but he was playing so well. And people love Rory McIlroy, and no offense to Justin Thomas, they don't love Justin Thomas as much as they love Rory McIlroy. You got to take eight hundred eight hundred dollar discount on JT. You have to take into account the casual golf fan. Casual golf fan is going to play the golfers they like, and then spitball down in that six K range because they don't know, they don't know, they don't know anybody. Like I could argue that if you're not watching golf, like you have no idea who Adam Long is. Like most people will see, <laughs> don't remind know, me about Adam. <laughs> most people will see Grio's name and they'll be like, well, that name looks great. And then yeah. not realizing that that guy can never putt yeah, or they'll see just, Jace. Like you, see, you, you just explained Mito Pereira's ownership for the last three months in the, in a nutshell. Oh, Mito, <laughs> Mito. Um, so I, right now, Ricky, Ricky, but Justin Thomas in second. Okay. Rory, you mean you said Rick? Uh, I'm sorry, Rory. Ro- sorry, yeah, not Ricky. Rory. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think Ricky. I think Ricky's in this field, but I don't think he'll get up there. Yeah, he's not in that range. But Rory, Rory's top right now. Justin Thomas is is a close second, but that and, number's going to change. And I agree with you that it'll be pretty flat. Like I think you make a great case for Scotty Scheffler here. I think you make a great case case for Xander here. I don't love Cam Smith this week, but I agree that it will be kind of flat. So when you're saying Rory will be the highest, we're not talking about like a 26, 27% Rory. We're talking about like a 20% Rory and like an 18% JT, right? Well, absolutely. Look at the field. Like People will go- start in the nines, by the way. Like absolutely. that's the reason why there won't be overwhelming chalk in the 10K range. Look at nine seven nine five. It's Finau and Zalatoris. So many people are going to start with that combo and skip all the 10s. The other driving factor is I've already heard a lot of noise about Matty Fitz because people love him. Really? Um, just they love Matt Fitzpatrick. You know, it's it's a playoffs. It could be a potential putting short game kind of course, um, even though the scoring available middle of the road, but still. He's been I good here before. Yeah. Yeah. But then like right now I have Jordan Spieth at 11, 10%. That number's going way down. That's going to be best. single digit. Can we talk about him? I was going to save this guy for a little bit. I think Spieth's the best play on the slate. I really do believe that. He hit the ball really well at the open. There's these. It's been the putter with him. These greens are pretty straightforward. He's won at Eastlake before. He's finished 12th here twice in three appearances. I think he's... That is crazy to me. I, I almost bet him at 28-1, to one, but I... I 
I, I don't know. People are just not going to talk about him this week. Huh? I haven't, have you seen him be touted by anyone or anything like that? I think it's, I think it's all Zalatoris and Hovland and those guys, right? Speeth just kind of out of sight right now. Absolutely. And, and, a little, and the easiest way to see this is just to build it into whatever mode you utilize to build your model. Right. Like when, when you do that, you, you already see that if a guy in that low AK range is, is popping and then you hear about him on Twitter, like you already know he's going to be chalky. Mm-hmm. Um, so like speed, I think is going to be single digit owned. Um, Victor Hovland, you're, you know, you immediately need to pivot to Colin Morikawa. Well, Colin's fascinating to me. I mean, what do you think Colin's going to be? Because he's, it's so funny, dude. I, Listen, I am old enough to remember when Colin Morikawa won the Open Championship last year, and people were saying that Morikawa is never going to drift above 20 in the betting market again, (laughs) and if he does, you hammer it is. And here he is sitting at like 35 to 1 in the betting market, and people are betting it, right, because they're smart. But I still feel like even some of the more loyal Morikawa people are like, yeah, like I remember last year when... Bryson was 35 to one at Caves Valley and everyone bet that like it's not that vibes with Morikawa this week like I think some people have identified hey this number is too high his DraftKings price is a little bit too low but I have no gauge on what the ownership will be because I I think people are betting him and acknowledging the fact that he's underpriced but I still don't really know what the sentiment is around him. Well, look at the guys around him. Okay. Burns. Burns, Sung Jay, and Victor Hovland. Hovland will be mid teens this week, right? Hovland and Sung Jay will both garner some ownership. Burns, definitely. But Hovland well, and, and Sung Jay should both be in the mid teens, I would guess. Well, let's just say like people are looking just at those four. Right. So the first thing that most will look at is recent form, and they'll see. You know, two back-to-back miscuts from Morikawa, and you look at the other three, and none of them have back-to-back back-to-back miscuts since the Genesis. Um, before that, you do you can go to the U.S. Open, but if people are smart enough, they know the U.S. Open is a ridiculous setup, and right. yeah, you missed the cut at the U.S. Open, but that's okay. But and what then, what what about the casuals that know that Morikawa's won two majors and still don't know who Sam Burns is? Well, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the pushing point is that they'll go to look at tournament history and they'll look at Morikawa and saw they missed the cut the last two years and they'll see everyone else has only missed it once. And they'll be like, okay, why why do I want any of Colin Morikawa? The guy's right. missing cuts recently. The guy's missed in the last two years. Okay, I'm going to go to Hovland. I'm going to go to Burns. I'm going to go to Sanjay I think he's, I think he, I have him as not missing the cut the last two years. Am I off on that? I have him as 20th and 26th here. Are you sure you're looking at the right tournament? Maybe I'm looking at the wrong one. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but no, I, I agree with the general point that you're making. So would you say over, if I gave you 10% on Morikawa, would you go over under? Oh, 26 and top 20. Yeah, I was looking at the wrong guy. Um, well, I'm sorry, what was the question again? Over under 10% on Morikawa. It's going to be over 10%. You're not gonna get you're not gonna get a steal on Morikawa. It's gonna be over. It is gonna be like lower ownership. Lower than Burns, lower yes. than Hovland, lower than yes. Sanjay is what yes. you're saying. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Who is the guy that is the lowest above 9K? Right now? Yeah. God, it's hard for me to tell you guys this because like, it's going to change. I know. If we're but, recording. We should timestamp this. We're recording this late on Monday evening. It'll come out Tuesday morning. Above nine K is still Patrick Cantlay, huh? <laughs> Who's been unbelievable? <laughs> who's been incredibly good? Exactly. But who the just strong, won the Open Championship? Cam yeah, Smith. Strong field. I don't know if people are savvy enough to look at like his struggles on Bermuda rough, but. Yeah. Scott, yeah, Scotty Scheffler, best in the world right now. Right. You know? Right. Rom's interesting to me. Um, <laughs> okay. I was thinking you'd bring him up. <laughs> what do you think? So here's here's my thing with I actually really like Rom this week. If you're asking me one guy that I'm like most likely going to play, it's Rom. For the first time in a year, I think he's actually priced correctly. Um there have been eight different weeks this season, Cav, where People thought Rom was like they thought they were being sneaky playing Rom. And like, I do not think that he's capable of ever being a true leverage play, especially in high stakes, by the way. Um, but like I can guarantee you that he has dropped significantly in people's models. He's not jumping off the page to anyone anymore. And I think that more than any elite player this year, he has underperformed compared to his baseline. I still I like I I just I don't think he's like single digits but I don't know if I can see a universe where he gets past like 13 14% this week. I knew you would ask me about John Rom. <laughs> so I actually did a little research and I went into Rick Rungood. Okay. Went to your course report and went to your course comps. Mm. And this week's style projection, which I have on cutlinegolf.com, which takes those courses and the DraftKings average score mm-hmm. and projects that shows John Rahm is number one. Really? Yes. Huh. He's good at he's really good at East Lake last year. And I don't think he plays a lot in uh Florida. I have him as like a good course fit i don't think that this is i think there's certain courses that john rom like starts on second base like tory pines and Muirfield village and a lot of the u.s open setups for example i don't think this is one of those courses i don't think it's a bad course fit either i don't either i i, I think if he's hitting fairways he, it's perfect for him right 
But the minute he has to scramble and go back to around the green, then that's where we're going to run into the troubles that we we've run into. I don't I don't think there's a chance he misses the cut here. That's going to come back to burn me. But how how can you not argue that he's not one of the top three ball strikers in this field? He's the best driver of the ball in the world. I don't know if I can, I think they're better iron players, but I still maintain he's the best driver of the ball in the world. Yeah. So, and yeah. I think hitting the fairway here is really important. I don't know how how much other people think it's really important, but I, I mean, I did this whole thing about the differences between Zoysia and Bermuda, and I think hitting the fairway here is really important. Well, I also like to look at like last year and and the long term look at John Rahm, and he's never really struggled the way he has this year, right? And you know, eventually he's going to come out of it, just like you know. Morikawa is going to come out of it. So I like Ron, but like you were saying, going back to ownership, probably around like 12, 13%. And that number will go up and down. Yeah. I think he's going to have a good FedEx Cup playoffs. Let's move down. Okay. How about this? Give me, um, give me one guy. The AK range is actually pretty small. So let's use this to talk from like, not let's use this to talk from like nine to, you know, even the low sevens, and then we'll throw out some six K guys that we like. Who do you see drawing a lot of attention? Can I give you my guesses and then you tell me how off I am? Sure. Okay. We already talked about the eights. I think Billy, um, I think Billy Horschel will get ownership at 8.2. Um, I think he'll be in the 14, 15% range. I guessed you, young Kim. Um it's kind of conflicting forces because he made so many people happy last week. I mean, there are like Tom Kim stands already. Like he made a lot of people happy last week, but there's also the conflicting force of like, people still don't think guys can win back to back, but maybe that narrative's dead with Xander and Finau and Scheffler. So I, I think Kim will garner ownership. Um, Corey Connors feels a bit, underpriced to me and he had a really 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 good sunday um i could see him in the 14 15% range and then if we're going down to like the lower sevens chris kirk jt poston scott stallings brendan steel would have about, higher than their peers you you you've about nailed it ah. Steel will be good at this. Steel will be lower. Owned. Ain't no hobby, Cav. Steel will be around. Like he'll be upper sevens, eight, nine percent, and depending on people talk to him or talk about him. Poston again is going to be high. Mm. It's um, not a. He, the dude's a fucking microwave. Like I, it's probably not going to be for me at like ten percent, but I understand it. Most of us who played in the in the in the 2019 masters know the 6900 Corey connor's ownership burn <laughs> we all remember that if you faded him um but yeah he'll be high basically everyone who touched upon was spot on so like you know even horschel which i thought used to be super sneaky isn't sneaky anymore but we're at the end of the season we're at the end of the season people know who's playing well who's playing better and a lot of guys are talking about this on Twitter. They're like, you should just be gambling and taking less out of DFS and doing more gambling, more top 10, more top 20s, more top 40s, more outrights. And and in a lot of ways, I agree with that. But we all know that DFS is like life-changing money. Right. And I think it's also a lot of people that 
have been playing chalky guys that have been playing well and are frustrated why they haven't made more money. Yeah, I agree with that. A guy I think I have overprojected right now, and he's he he's kind of been one of those like just just those itches that I need to scratch every week because he's so complicated whenever he plays is Aaron Wise. Mm, he is a guy. So Aaron Wise is another guy like Rom, where I think some of the higher stakes players are really high on him because if you look at Wise was like. 15% in some contests last week. He was 30% in some of the higher stakes contests last week. Yeah. I, I mean, he's a phenomenal player. You look at his stats just on this year, like he is in the top of, of, of plenty of them, like sixth in greens and regulation, 18th in ball striking, 30th in driving distance, 28th in strokes getting off the tee, um, 20th in tee to green. Like tee to green is one of the most valuable stats here. Um, but Hidden down deep in $7,700, Aaron Wise, I think is a solid play. And his ownership right now is about 7%. And it it was funny because at the beginning of the season, and it was driving me nuts. Aaron Wise, I kept coming up with like 20%, 23%, 27%. He was on a lot of lists as like breakout player this year. I know. And I get get that. And I'm like, why are you doing this to yourselves? Yeah. But you know you, you the, the guys you mentioned you nailed you nailed you, pretty pretty close. Do you think Henley? Do you think people go back to Henley at that price? Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, uh, anyone who bet Russell Henley last week and actually tracked him shot by shot on Sunday, I promise you, Cav, I'm not being hyperbolic. I watch a lot of golf and stare at numbers all day. Russell Henley on Sunday at the Wyndham was one of the best iron rounds of golf I've ever seen in my life. He gained four strokes and approach on Sunday alone. That was best in the field. That feels low to me watching him. It feels like he hit everything to five feet. Um, and I was just I was just watching him and just like, this is a master at work. There's no conceivable scenario. I don't care that he's missing all these five foot putts. There's no conceivable scenario that I don't bet him and play him next week. I bet him at 76 to one. I have to make a decision on DraftKings. I I was somewhat optimistic that, you know, Davis Riley looked great last week. Terrell Hatton looked great last week. Everybody loves Max Homa. People love Ju Young Kim. And Russell Henley has this like category as a kind of a loser, right? Like he had the most predictable Russell Henley outcome last week, which is like he's there. He's relevant in the tournament, but he never has a legitimate chance to win. Well, he's won three times. I agree with you. <laughs> I, listen, I'm with you. And I think that stuff should have ended with like Finau and Xander. For me, the way that I look at it is like, I don't bet guys that I envision holding the trophy. I bet guys that my numbers suggest have the highest probability of putting themselves in the mix because the actual winning of golf tournaments has so much to do with variance. And the goal is to get yourself in the mix every week and just wait. And as we've seen with Finau and Xander, just wait, put yourself in the mix a certain number of times and you'll start having those situations where Scott Piercy shoots a 78 on the back nine, right? So I think Russell Henley, I how is Russell Henley any different than Abraham answer, right? Wasn't it, isn't it, it's the same, isn't it the same guy, proverbial bridesmaid, couldn't close, great on Bermuda, 
really accurate off the tee, great short to middle iron player, 55 to one numbers look amazing, but he never seems to close, right? Like it's the same, it's, it's the same thing. He can win. He can win. And and you got all those guys around him though, that can win arguably. Like you look at like someone, you know, we, we talked about wise, wise is one once Seamus powers one once Connors is one once Terrell Hatton's one once. Um, I, uh, by the way, and and people keep doing this. I will st- I will not play Keegan Bradley in DFS anymore. <laughs> I will not Ever. play him. In- Ever. He's going to be well owned this week. I'm out on him too, but I'm just yeah. No, but I mean, like you can go down to Chris Kirk and go go for his four wins. Like if you're measuring just wins, I think I'm done with Adam Scott too. I think I've like yeah. I think I've beat I beat that one that, into submission. I call that strokes getting old. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 like, I just, I just, I can't do it anymore. I can't do 41 year old or 40, he's 42, I think. No. Anyways, yeah, I, I have a hard time not going back to Henley at that price, but thing um, is, he, bur- he burned a lot of people because people didn't have Kim. So that, it leaves a bitter taste and it lowers ownership. I, I don't think he's not going to, like, he's going to be double digit now. Hundred percent. He missed a lot of short putts in contention that I think frustrated a lot of people. Who's a popular outright bet? Like I am going to. My threshold is like if he's below fifteen, I will probably play him. What about Connors? Do you think Connors is higher on than Henley? Because I feel like a lot of the arguments that I just made for Henley, especially with like the answer comparison, Corey Connors fits to a T. And you want to talk about a guy that made a huge charge on Sunday and was awesome tee to green on Sunday. And I think that you do not need to be, I, I think my numbers have the degree of difficulty of putting on these screens. I think champion Bermuda in general, and these screens aren't very nuanced. There's not a ton of slope to them. Like, I, I mean, we've seen JT win here losing strokes putting. Right. So I, I actually think that some of these, I, I don't know if it's like a full team, no putt week, but I think you could make that case on this golf course. Yeah, I could see that. I think the one thing though that that's a selling point for Henley is the fact of his recent form, two straight top 10 finishes versus Corey Connors with two straight top 30 finishes. Mm-hmm. If you have an extra $200 sitting on the table, well, okay, I'll pay up for Russell Henley and take the recent form. That's how most people will think. Right. And it's really not going to sway ownership that much. I mean, you're talking about maybe 1%, maybe at most 3% which in the grand scheme of things isn't that much. All right. Give me, we can say like from 7.5 below, let's go back and forth. Let's go like two or three guys that we love that. And go, this can go all the way down to the sexes. You want to start? Gosh, I got to filter it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, let um, me ask you, let me ask you this question before we do that quickly. Do you think there's any, egregious like misprices down here that are like is there anyone below 7.5 that is going to be over be double digits if there's anyone it's probably posting for okay. sure cam davis people just tend to love to play him he's underpriced yeah. scott stallings has been on fire recently so like like he'll probably be double digit owned if we're looking down here but it's not something that i would say you're going to deter yourself from at least at this point unless people start selling them there 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 are just plays here that no one like people are going to go back to see will kim and (laughs) and 
that's fine if you want to go back to Siwoo Kim, but you can easily go to Justin Rose at $7,200 and get like ownership less than 5% and not overexpose yourself. I love so many Rose this week. Exactly. Yeah. And he's won 10 times on tour and, and the guy has shown time and time again that he likes to compete. So like, this is like, I don't think you're going to find Diamond in the... I, I do see Mito's name, though, at 7,500. I feel bad for Rick that he's not sub-7K because I know that's his like selling point. For how, how the mighty have fallen with Denny, too, right? 15%, 8,900, down to 7,100, 0% probably. Yeah, well, he's, well, how many times are people going to play Mav McNeely and Denny McCarthy? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't see the point. Like, yeah. Even from a DraftKings perspective, like I'd rather just feed them when people are eating them as chalk. They're not chalk this week, but still, I still think my favorite play, and you kind of touched upon it already when I first mentioned him, is Justin Rose at seventy two hundred. I, I I think that's an absolute steal, at least from an ownership standpoint. Um, he's not going to pop necessarily like in people's overall stat models, and that's because of limited sample size. But we always know he's been historically a great putter. We've seen it at courses like Augusta. Um, we've seen success here before. Um, so, and the recent form isn't terrible mm-hmm. if you go all the way back to the RBC Can- Canadian open when he finished fourth, but since then, but that's, that's what you get with Justin Rose. That's what you get with this volatility. If we're going to go down to like the six K range, man, I don't love anyone down here, but I mean, Brennan Steele's going to be chalky cause he's going to pop, but I, you can go back to John, huh? But I think that's a high risk move and you're only going to do that in MME. Um, you're not going to do that in single or three max. You can go to like Marty Laird if you want to party hardy. He'll <laughs> be less than 3%. I think he really fits this course being a Bermuda putter or not a Bermuda putter, but good at like when he could put it all together. This is a course that I think fits him being able to to hit fairways. And if he's hitting fairways, he's potentially hitting greens and then putting for birdie. I love Rose too, by the way, like the courses, uh, he's been really good on Bermuda actually and fifth and eighth at the Valspar. Oh, oh, actually a lot of good finishes at the Honda to, uh, second, second, fourth, fourth, sixth at Eastlake as well. And, um, he hit the ball all right at the Wyndham and he kind of grinded to make the cut and played okay over the weekend. Um, I'll give you some guys, uh, and I love talking about these guys down here because I don't. I don't have to worry about affecting ownership whatsoever because I these guys are Kevin we, Strillman. We I, talked about this. We talked about that. You are uh, your game is growing. You are affecting ownership on a daily basis. Every I don't tweet think you send with, out. <laughs> I don't think with the six K guys though. You think everybody? Yeah, everybody you send out. All right. Well, Kevin Strillman. I love Kevin Strillman. This week, probably my favorite 6K play this week. Gained 4.9 ball striking at the Wyndham. Missed a cut on the number. It's my kind of guy. You know, I love these guys that hit the ball really well. Miss a cut in the number. Really good on Bermuda. Really good mid-iron player. Pounds fairways. Really good golf course for Kevin Strillman by my metrics. Well, Hoagie is going to be popular. I think there's some... I, I don't think it's like concerningly popular, but he gained like 10 strokes on approach at the 3M. I think another interesting one right next to him is, did you get a chance to peek over at what Honor Bond was up to last week? Mr. Honor Bond hit the ball like eight times better than than Tom Kim, and Honor Bond just lost four strokes putting. 
I can't. You can't sell me on that. I can't sell you on honor bond. <laughs> you can't just because <laughs> you can't. Like I'll look at my power rankings right now, and you already mentioned two guys that are at the top of the two. And my power rankings are basically a, a weighted summation of a ton of stats that I value. But Hogue was number one. Oh, he's number one, and Streelman's number two. And then you got Mark Hubbard, number three, tied with John Ha, actually. And then Lahiri, Smalley, Troy Merritt, Luke List, and Svensson. What about my boy Cooch? Any love for Coocher in there? Coocher rounds out the top 10. Hmm. That was a complete guess, by the way. Um, Yeah, there's some, there's, this is such a good, I mean, look at Taylor Moore's playing out of his mind. I don't know if you want to chase that. Alex Smalley's really good. I've been saying this. Shout out, Duke. Brandon Wu's really good. I played high school golf with Brandon Wu. Brandon Wu's unreal. That dude kicked my ass. He's going to be on the PGA Tour for a very long time, and he's starting to show why. Svensson was this darling. Uh, I've 100% fallen into that trap a bunch of times with him too recently. Now he's 6,700, you know, two-ish percent when he was, you know, pretty popular the last couple of weeks. There are a lot of really good names down here. A lot of really, really strong 6K range. I like Luke List a lot at 6,500. I think that guy's always underpriced. I think he is on ball striking courses where putting, you know, is a little bit less relevant. I think that he, I think he can play well here this year. Uh, so I, there's some names down there, man. There absolutely. I I take um, one of the things I like to look at is I'll take 2022 PJ stats, mm-hmm. and I'll wait the ones I'm looking at. And I'll rank them. And the fact is we have, I think, 10, maybe more in this 6K range that rank in the top 35 of those weighted stats just for this season. So it's interesting. I think a lot of people see those names in that 9K range, that 8K range. They know they've won. And that's where ownership's going to field itself this week. And people are going to go with the balance build. Well, I think the advantage wouldn't be to go stars and scrubs. I agree. Go extreme, go extreme stars and scrubs. Were you, were you taking shots and flyers on these 6K guys? Bad news, though. <laughs> the Gim Reaper is uh, the top rated according to 2022 stats. Yeah, he always is. I have a couple guys like that where they always rate out better than how they are as a player. Gim is actually one of them. Martin Laird is another one of those guys. Russell Knox is one of those guys. Um, actually, there are a ton of them down here. I've heard some... Ki- Have you picked up on a little... I've gotten a couple Kitiyama messages today. Kitiyama, 6,400. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. The the thing, though, that like we already touched about, like Hoagie, I love his approach game. Um, I like Hubbard and Lahiri's approach game. Like if we're going to take specific stats in terms of looking at that Luke list, you already talked about him, but again, he's kind of like Cam Smith. It's like hit or miss. Like, is he going to yeah. be on that week or not? And and that's the risk you take, but to absolutely worth it because if he's on, that's a top 10, top 20. Um. All right. Before we get out of here, have you bet anyone? Have you made any bets, any outright bets you like? I really haven't. Other than Burns. Okay. What'd you get him at? Like 40? Yeah. Yeah. Like 40 good, to one. Good number, man. And I just tend to not bet those low numbers just because it's not fun. <laughs> like it you. might be stupid. I get it. But like, I'd like, this is a tournament for me where I'd rather live bet. 
So I'll look at that first round and and if there's any type of advantage where you get a number on a live bet and a guy that you think could have a successful like first round leader bet, I will live bet the the crap out of them. And and there are tournaments where I've seen tons of success. Um, someone I might have mentioned on your show does it very well at Stu Vega. Um, you can find him at Stu Vega on Twitter. He just live bets like crazy, and the guy just picks winners. Um, he doesn't always share, but when he does, it's like, oh, that's actually a good play. So, mm. um, okay, what else? So, tell people, um, actually, real quick, who? So, who's your pick to win? Who wins the tournament? Scotty Scheffler. Okay, I'll go. Uh, I'll go Shane Lowry. Um, I can't, I, no, I can't. I can't. Shane. Shane Lowry had his like he had his season in like eight tournaments, and yeah, it's done. Everyone's it's, every, everyone's saying that. I don't really. I don't really know if I buy that. I don't really know if I buy that. If you look at the numbers, he actually hasn't really regressed that much. I mean, yeah, he hit the ball. He hit the ball really well at the open. He didn't give a shit about making that cut last week. I f- kind of felt bad that he had to charter a jet and, and, and get back there. He did. I don't think he was happy. He didn't act like he was happy to play golf there over the weekend. I think he finished dead last. Um, but he couldn't help but hitting the ball well. And he just—I think he's a really good course fit. I really like him on Bermuda. He almost won the Honda. Really good at the foul spark. Good at the players. He's putted really well on champion Bermuda before. Six and 23rd and two appearances here. Great middle iron player. Pounds fairways. He's just a flusher. And people were betting this guy at majors at 30 to one this year. And he didn't win. And now people are off. But then that happens all the time where it's like it. it these guys like it as soon as as soon as everyone hops off, they win. I think Lowry's going to I think Lowry's going to be there this week. I do. I really do hope you're right. I, I, I've not excluded him from my player pool. I just don't think he's going to be the winner this week. And I, I really have... Scheffler's definitely a safer bet. <laughs> the, the, yeah. I mean, it's, it, that's almost cheating. You should have been like, you got to pick someone below 10K. Um, and, and honestly, my pick then would have been Finau, which is probably kind of cheating in itself. But to be fair, like, you, this is the, the FedEx playoffs, PJ Tour... We we know the history of this event in terms of those high numbers always winning. I I'm gonna tailor towards that trend. I know Makes there's sense. limited limited data in there. Um, you know, I, I could see Justin Thomas coming out here and winning. We t- we talked about Rom. Rom could come out here and win, and and that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Um, so just manage your units, boys. Manage your units and bet correctly. <laughs> Um, all right. So where can everyone find you this week? You referenced the cut line. You're not starting officially at Rick run good till the first event of the fall swing. Correct. Correct. I'm I'm not, I'm not starting till is that that's after labor day, right? Yeah. I think it's the first I'm in, I'm in Ireland that, that week, but I think then we got the Fortinet that second week of September. I think, I think Eastlake is, is labor day weekend. And then, there's a week break where I go to Ireland and then it's the Fortnite. Yeah. So longest, longest off season in sports. That's that's come September. You'll find me at rickrungoga.com. In the meantime, you can check out cutlinegolf.com. You can, you know, shoot me a DM on Twitter at Lunas, L-I-U-N-A-S. Um, of course, you can listen to the Cutline podcast, which will be out tomorrow. Am I ever going to get invited on this thing? Man, it's hard because then like, you know, we got to, 
we got it. We I do my podcast like late at night, Andy, like super fucking late because I want to like make sure I got everything right and everything ready to roll. And if you ever listen to my show, it's a little bit risque. You know, it's not <laughs> PG thirteen. It's rated R. Sometimes rated X. Like this week, this week's rated X. We got when some sound it, bites. When when does it come out? Typically at the end of Tuesday night. Sometimes okay. Wednesday morning. I like recording a little bit later than most, just because. Um, I like having more better ownership data being the ownership right. guy. I think that's probably pretty, pretty important. Unfortunately, it kind of goes against the advice of margin call, like be the best or be first. I'm never first. And I would argue that, you know, everyone else has a better show than me because I love everyone else's work. I just appreciate everyone else's work that they do from you to Rick to, to uh, even our boy BK. So like everyone does an amazing job and, <laughs> Get back in BK's good graces. Yeah. I, I'm there. I'm there. there. I don't know about yeah. you. I, I've got you some work to the, do. You guys went on the golf outing. I don't know what you said to him. And we were talking about that on his show. So um, I'm playing Beth Page Black with him on uh, on Sunday, uh, which is that that is, of course, which I play from the tips is a uh, in this heat walking will be uh, an experience for sure. Um, so anyway. Michael he mentioned he mentioned that uh you guys are partners on scrambles. <laughs> and I said, How's that going for you? And he said, It's interesting. <laughs> I just Here's swing the, the club. Here's the thing. Now that we're here, I'll just close on this. So have you ever watched Phil in the match? Yes. So like I'm like that in a team event with my partner. Like I, I'm very I want to I want to help you read your putts, you know, I want to talk you through things and I genuinely believe with Kirshner and with a lot of higher handicap players, I genuinely believe that if I was able to talk through shots with you that I would immediately I know this with Kirshner for a fact. If I was able to talk him through every single shot, I would immediately shave shave at least five strokes off his game just on decision making and club choice and where he's aiming at certain greens alone. I know that for a fact, minimum five shots, maybe more, right? And so when we're scramble partners, that is what I want to do. And we're playing at Lake Placid, by the way, which is the course that I grew up on and I know like the back of my hand. So our greatest advantage is that I know every putt. I know, like I know this course really well, but I know for Brian, sometimes it's better to not hear that. Sometimes more noise in his head before a shot is not good. So you have to it's you have to walk this fine line. And our 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 struggle was there was a bunker shot, and I was like, hey, I there's a game plan on this bunker shot. Like I I I want to talk to you about this bunker shot. And he was like, No, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Not out of bunkers. I'm already squeamish out of bunkers. I don't want to hear it. And I was like, okay. I was like, okay, fine. I won't say it. Okay. He hits the bunker shot. This is like in a very close match, by the way, he hits the bunker shot and he hits like contact wise, a really good bunker shot, honestly, like a very good bunker shot. The problem is, is that the one thing that I was going to say to him was under no circumstances, put the ball above the hole on this bunker shot, aim 
15, 20 feet right of the pin if you have to. And he hits this like perfect bunker shot that is <laughs> that is like 12 feet above the hole. And I literally said after like, hey, dude, I would have rather had an uphill 25 footer than the putt that you just left me. And he was like, dude, that was an amazing freaking bunker. Sh-. We're alternate shot, by the way. And I was like, yeah, but it's dead. There's, there's, I, I can, I cannot make this putt. And the comebacker that you're going to have is going to be 30 feet up the hill, which we could have been a shot before. Right. So that is, that, that is the struggle that we have is I don't know how much to talk and I, I don't want to screw him up, but I also want to use our course management to our advantage. Sorry for the long diatribe there. I think it's worth it because you know, he's going to listen now. <laughs> oh he, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, no, no. And it was all good. Like I was frustrated in the moment, but I always, my th- I'm as you know, anyone who plays golf with me knows I am insanely competitive. I do not like losing on the golf course. I do not like it at all. I it doesn't happen often. I I generally do pretty I clean up pretty well generally in friendly golf games on the golf course. But the second that it's over, the second that we put out on 18, I'm done. It's like, okay, what happened happened. Let's go have a good time. I don't care about it. But on the golf course, I I can get pretty intense. And I think I worried Brian a little bit because I I can get pretty intense when I'm competitive. Is this like moments of silence, like where where there's no talking and like kind? Yeah, I mean it's yeah. Well, I just get kind of I get kind of I get kind of focused. You know, I'm not I'm not a like a I'm never a like yell or a slam clubs clubs guy. We'll we'll leave that to Grumpy Jay. I'm more of like a silent like honestly, like if I'm being self-critical of myself, I, I, I probably veer closer on the side to pouty than I do like angry. Um, but yeah, anyway. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's, there's an easy way to tech to take care of you on the course. You know, all you got to do is cut the hamstring on the back of your leg, you know, right on the bottom. You'll never play golf again because the weight displacement goes back <laughs> and all your weight. You know, it's on his right foot, and then you're you're just gonna push everything right. You'll never come through on anything. You'll quit the game. I will never quit this game, unfortunately. I All right, let's get up on that. I hope people picked up on that. <laughs> niche joke. All right, we're getting out of here, Cav. It was a uh, pleasure, and we'll do it again soon, my friend. Thanks for having me on, man. All right, that is it for the podcast. Special thanks to Cav. Special thanks to RickRunGoods.com. Betting preview with Rick will be out on Tuesday afternoon. Golf.com article later today. Final DFS thoughts article on Wednesday. And we'll be back next week for the BMW Championship. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stop Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. 
But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.